Our scripture reading today comes from Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you were born between 1925 and 1945, there's a 60% chance that you are part of a church community today. If you were born between 1946 and 1964, there's a 40% chance that you're involved in a church community today. If you were born between 1965 and 1983, there's only a 20% chance that you are involved in a church community today. And if you were born after 1984, there is only a 10% chance that you are involved in a church community today. Think about that for a second. Every day, there is only a 10% chance that people 36 years of age and younger that we interact with, people that we interact with in our communities, in our workplaces, on our sports fields, coffee shops, when we go out to lunch and dinner, when we're traveling, only 10% of those 36 years of age and younger are involved in a church community. Several decades ago, the old adage, if you build it, they will come, was more or less true when it came to church buildings. Today, that would no longer be the case for most places in Northern America. We send people all over the world on mission trips. And while that's certainly needed and necessary, we often fail to see, to fully see the mission field that is right here under our feet. Now for the past few weeks, we've been talking about Jonah, the reluctant prophet. We talked about the word of the Lord coming to, to Jonah and telling Jonah to go to Nineveh. 
which was just a few miles this way. But we talked about how Jonah turned and ran thousands of miles in the opposite direction. We talked about not only Jonah's reluctance, but his disobedience. We talked about Jonah's travel adventures and his ticked-off shipmates. Last week, we talked about the adventures that Jonah had in the belly of a whale. We talked about Jonah pleading with the Lord and how the whale eventually spit Jonah back out on dry land. Today, we are going to be talking about the call on Jonah's life. How the call on Jonah's life, the call that God placed on Jonah's life, and I'm going to say the call placed on our lives and on the life of the church, is one of relentless pursuit. God doesn't give up on us. God didn't give up on Jonah. The call placed on Jonah's life was one of relentless pursuit. It was one of abundant forgiveness and one of grace upon grace. Jonah 3, our passage for today, opens like nothing even happened in verses 1 or 2. This is a strange little book in the Bible. Almost reads like a kid's story. So chapter 3, verse 1 says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to that great city Nineveh, and proclaim the message that I will tell you. Get up, go, proclaim. God didn't give up on Jonah. God doesn't even mention the whole Jonah running in the opposite direction debacle. God simply tells him to get up and go and proclaim the message that God will give him. We don't know what that message is at this point, and neither does Jonah. Get up, go, and proclaim. Those directives and ones like it are seen countless times throughout Scripture. It's a common theme. God disrupting the comfort and the patterns of God's people. God using crazy situations to get their attention. And God telling people to go in a direction that they might not choose to go on their own accord. But a direction that God needs them to go to proclaim God's word to God's people all around the world. How many of you are comfortable going to a neighbor or a friend who's not a Christian, who's not part of the church? How many of you are comfortable going to a coworker who doesn't share your faith tradition and declaring to them a message from the Lord? Are you comfortable doing that? Does it make you nervous? Uneasy, anxious. Do you second guess every word you might say? And these are people that you know. Can you imagine how Jonah felt? Jonah was an Old Testament prophet. Old Testament prophets were very often anointed by God, and I would add, annoyed by God, to go 
and to call out the false gods, the idols, the false worship, the unjust practiced practices and systems of the day. I say that prophets were very likely annoyed by God because let's face it, who would want that job? Who would want to go to a people and essentially tell them that they're engaged in practices that go against God's will and God's desire? Who would want to do that? And we know that no one wanted to listen to the Old Testament prophets, especially, and don't miss this part, God's own people. They did not want to hear God's word, which is why this story is extra interesting. Nineveh, at least on the surface, wouldn't be considered God's own people. And yet right there in verse 1, God called the city of Nineveh great. God saw something in Nineveh that perhaps Nineveh didn't even see or know about itself. So God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. This was an empire known for its brutality and its weaponry. It was a warrior society. And not just any warrior society. The Assyrian Empire was the warrior society that was responsible for conquering and sacking Israel, for destroying Israel and its cities, and for carting off nearly 27,000 of its inhabitants. That was the empire. That was the city God was telling Jonah to go to. Who would want this job? Who would want to go and proclaim God's word there? It's no wonder that Jonah ran in the opposite direction. Would you want the job of walking in to the neighborhood that brutalized your people? To the neighborhood that didn't share your belief in God? To the neighborhood that wasn't known for its compassion? Would you want the job of walking in there and declaring a message from the Lord? And not just any message, a message that would tell the people, the inhabitants, that everything about their destructive ways would need to be overturned or would be overturned. This is a radical calling on Jonah's life. But more importantly, this story is one of radical hope. Question. If I were to tell you that last night while you slept, an entire city in California was consumed by wildfires, would you believe me? If I were to tell you that last night while you slept, an entire city block in Chicago lost their lives due to gunfire and gun violence, would you believe me? Now, if I were to tell you that an entire neighborhood in Embry Mill that didn't previously know the saving grace of Jesus Christ came to know and to hear the good news of the gospel, 
last night, would you still be willing to believe me? Why is it so easy for us to be willing to believe in immediate destruction, but we are less inclined to believe in immediate awakening? Jonah 3 is a story of radical hope, of radical transformation, and the radical love, the redeeming love offered by our God. Nineveh, the enemy, a corrupt and brutal nation, one with many idols. Yet it was a place and a people that God saw and God loved. And it was a place and a people that heard the word of the Lord and overturned itself. Now, Embry Mill, Stafford, Virginia, our surrounding communities, this isn't Nineveh. However, I cannot help but think that God is asking us, just as God asked Jonah, to get up, to go, and to proclaim. While churches are faced with the reality of COVID, with the reality of gathering in large masses, when churches are used to inviting people to come to us, I can't help but wonder if God is asking us to get up and instead go to where the people are already gathering. Remember, less than 10% of those 36 years of age and younger that we encounter every single day are part of a church community. For Generation Z, those born after 1995, the numbers are even worse. I'm an anomaly for my generation. My children, even more so. We are not Nineveh, but we are currently living and standing on a great mission field. And so I can't help but wonder sometimes, what are we doing inside this church building, inside these four walls, when God may be calling us and needing us to go out there? Our landscape is changing drastically. And yet our purpose as the church never changes. Never. The message of God's radical and redeeming love that is offered to the entire world, to all people, never changes. But our strategies, our maps, and our approaches, they need to be changing. They need to be adapting. Or we might just find ourselves in the belly of a metaphorical whale. Heck, we might already be there. 2020 feels a lot like being swallowed up by a big whale, doesn't it? I want to share something with you now that I have been wanting to share for months. If I'm honest, I've been wanting to share this for years. I have been waiting for God to unleash this season for quite some time. 
for years, the things that have most often kept me up at night are the statistics that I've shared with you. The reality that more and more people in our own communities are less and less familiar with the perfect love of Jesus Christ. A love that sees us as we are in all of our sin and all of our faults and all of our wrongdoing. And a love that claims us just the same. That loves us. That wants to redeem and reconcile us. It keeps me up at night, not just to know that more and more people are less and less familiar with the good news of the gospel, but more so what keeps me up at night is wrestling with the question and the answers to what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this reality? What does get up go and proclaim look like for us in our community. One of the ways that we're engaging this reality here at Ebenezer Church has been to stand up a handful of microchurch communities and expressions out there in communities, in neighborhoods. Microchurches are smaller expressions of the church. Church is simply God's people coming together, God's people doing life together, God's people being in covenant. So microchurches are smaller expressions of church that are meeting in homes and on porches and in the community, that are meeting on ball fields, and one even meeting in a yoga studio. Now, We're building this plane as we are flying it right now. These are pilot groups. But once fully operational, these microchurch communities will be meeting for worship and for discipleship and for mission and service out there, out in the places and the spaces where people already tend to gather naturally, where there's not as much baggage and and mistrust and distrust that some may experience when they think of a traditional church. Even pre-COVID, we knew that no matter how good our worship was in here, in this building, that there were growing numbers of people that would not come in here that it wasn't even on their radar to consider doing so. So microchurches seek to answer the question, what if we adapt our strategy a bit? What could that look like? What if we, as the church, instead of asking people to come, which this is a really difficult season to do that anyway, instead of doing that, What if we instead, as the church, go to the places where people already are? What if we simply be church there? What could that look like? What if God is asking us to do this? What if God is asking us to get up, to go, and to proclaim the gospel in our neighborhoods and in our communities and in places that we often already are existing 
and doing life and interacting with other people, but in places where we have put up a barrier between church and world? What if God is asking us to take down that barrier and to be church in all of the places that we find ourselves? So right now, we currently have five of these pilot microchurches and fresh expressions up and running. I want to show you some pictures of them. These microchurches and fresh expressions um, each look a little bit differently. Some of them are meeting in backyards. Some of them um, are meeting on porches and outside right now. This is a safe thing to do. Um, some of them, well, like I said, one of them is meeting in a yoga studio. We have a group of people gathering for kickball during the week, which um, serves as an invitation opportunity into uh, these smaller expressions. But people of all ages, uh, there's opportunities for youth and children as well to engage in interactive ways. But these micro churches will each look a bit differently on purpose. The design of these smaller communities is one that allows the, the organization to adapt around context. So a church meeting in a yoga studio is going to look different from one meeting on a back porch. It's going to look different from a church that meets in a coffee shop. They're flexible by nature. How they look on the outside, the packaging that they come in will look different. But they all exist for one shared purpose, and that is to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ. These expressions are not led by Pastor Rob or myself. Though I am meeting with the leaders of these microchurch groups for training, to equip them, to put sound theological resources, sound uh, worship organizational resources into their hands. So while I meet regularly with the microchurch leaders, these expressions are beautiful because they are led by you, by disciples of Jesus Christ who have a heart for God and a desire to share the love of Christ with people in their lives and in their community. And yes, COVID precautions are uh, being taken. Some of these groups are, are gathering and they're watching the streamed worship service together. Some of these groups are designing their own worship experience occasionally. And there's a little bit of planning involved. You have to figure out where to meet, what the space will look like. Have to figure out how to space out the chairs and the seating. Have to figure out um, who's going to set up and who's going to tear down. And if it's going to rain, what might that look like if you're outside? So there's some planning involved here. But from everything I can gather, this has truly been a team effort, a relational opportunity, and best yet, it allows these micro-expressions to connect with people who might never step inside of this building and to begin to plant seeds or water the seeds so that God can grow the fruit on people that God loves very, very much. The distributed church is beautiful and it's messy. It's full of hope and potential. But best of all, it keeps us focused on our primary purpose as the church. 
to love God, to love neighbors, to make disciples, to go and make disciples. Because when people are not coming to us, it then is our job as disciples and as the church to go to where the people are. COVID is not the reason for this approach. God, I think, was moving in this direction long before COVID. But COVID has certainly accelerated the need for us to listen, to hear, and to move in this direction. If you are feeling called to meet and to be and to do church in non-traditional ways, if you've ever heard God asking you to do something that you didn't quite have a mental picture for, but you're pretty clear that God was speaking and saying, hey, I want you to do this. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to hear what God is saying to you and how that might be able to come into fruition. If you've ever found yourself walking into a space in this community, a natural gathering space, and you feel like God is saying to you, hey, have you ever thought about what church or fellowship or Bible study or gathering in this space could look like? If you've ever thought that God was saying something like that to you, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to hear what you hear God saying and how you think that might play out. And if you saw some of these pictures and you were, you're asking yourself, hey, you know, I would love to be able to invite some of my neighbors, some of my friends over to be able to stream the worship service but you're not really sure what you need to kind of set it up or how to connect your devices to be able to project the worship on a bigger screen. I'd love to talk to you as well. I'll be hosting an information session uh, online next Sunday. If you're interested in learning more about these microchurches and fresh expressions, I'd love to connect with you to answer any questions that you might have but most importantly, to hear what God has been saying to you over and over again. When I talk about these microchurches and fresh expressions, it turns out that God has already been planting seeds and visions in people's minds. And very often, people are simply waiting for permission to go and do these things, for permission to be able to believe that this is really God saying, hey, and, good, and do this, for affirmation, I should say, to believe that this is God leading in this direction. And I don't doubt it for one minute. There is a whole world out there that God loves very, very much. God has the whole world in his hands, even and especially the Ninevehs. Even and especially the growing numbers of people in our own communities who are less and less inclined to believe and to know in the depths of their being that God's perfect, unrelenting love is so for them, that God's love is for them. Are you willing to be brave? Are you willing to maybe get up, to go, and to proclaim God's love 
in the places and spaces where you are already doing life, but places where perhaps you have constructed barriers between the sacred and the secular, between your church life and the rest of your life? Are you willing to discern where God might be leading? I hope so. Because wherever we find ourselves running towards God, running away from God, in the belly of a whale, God will always be with us. God's love will always be perfect. God's forgiveness will always be abundant. And God's grace upon grace will be there to meet us at every turn, at every trip, and be there to pick us back up and to show us where are the Ninevehs in our day, in our time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.